Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The Gym Day Podcast is brought to you by Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Jim Day Podcast. All right, here we are again. It is another edition of the Jim Day Podcast. And oh, do I have one of my favorites today. I say that a lot, I know. But I've worked with a lot of cool people and a lot of very talented people over the years. But not many that I love more or as much as Dan Horde. Daniel, how are we doing? Jim, I am great. We had a lot of laughs together working oh. on Reds Live or whatever it was originally called when we first started doing it. Real I Reds, I laughs. think. Real Reds, real that's Reds. it. Yeah, it was real. <laughs> Especially in that center field camera oh, well. Geez. It was typically 712 degrees uh, as we did the pregame show. Makeup melting down the sides oh. of our faces. Literally, It was a lot of fun. If they could come up, and we talked about this many times. All right, let's figure out the worst spot in the ballpark to do a TV show. <laughs> let's pick a place where the camera is literally one foot from you. That is a, a greenhouse, an oven, and the sun just beating down on you from the back to make the camera, to wash the camera. I mean, literally. It was dreadful. <laughs> plus, plus getting in there, even after doing it for 100 shows, I'd always be like, is that the door? Is that how I get in there? Oh, yeah. We'd, we'd crawl, crawl through this little crawl space. We'd, sitting on each other's laps yeah but uh, hey you do what you have to do to make quality tv there's no doubt hey you know what speaking of which i got a picture here check this out this is an audio medium obviously but uh you can see this wow. check that out that's like the final year one of the final shows at riverfront stadium then synergy field but we've kind of thrown that out it's riverfront stadium we You're are, a handsome young man. It's Dan Hard and me standing there <laughs> in left field out there by where they cut out the stadium to build the new one. And we are hosting real Reds. Check us out. Yeah. Look at you. I Dark know. hair. I, I still had no a, a tiny bit left. Yeah, no gray so Two hair. handsome men. Yeah. But I was I was just faking it that day. Just trying to <laughs> keep up with you. A baseball aficionado. Dan Horde, of course, the voice 
of the Cincinnati Bengals, the voice of the UC Bearcats, my former co-host, but more famously known perhaps nationwide as the Simpsons character Dan Hoare. Now, there are not many people that get to boast that. Can you tell people how this came about? That I, I mean, I'm envious that Dan Hoare is a <laughs> character on The Simpsons. Well, there was a character named Dan Hoard on The Simpsons, but it is not my voice. That is the one thing missing. I wish I had had yeah. the opportunity to do the was voice. It actually but it was actually Ken really Levine's cool. voice? Was did Ken do? Yes. That voice? So my friend Ken Levine wrote that episode, and the backstory is Ken is a famous Hollywood screenwriter. He's won Emmys for Cheers. He spent several years writing for Mash. He's had this magnificent Hollywood career. But he always had a dream of being a baseball broadcaster. He's from Los Angeles. He grew up listening to Vin Scully. Anybody that grew up listening to Vin Scully wants to be Vin Scully. So after having this incredible career as a Hollywood screenwriter, Ken bought two season tickets behind home plate in the upper deck at Dodger Stadium. He would set his tape recorder in one along with his scorebook and his stats, books, whatever, pens and pencils. And he called... 81 Dodger games into a tape recorder one summer. And then at the end of that summer, put together an audition tape that he sent to every minor league team in the, the team for at the time, the Syracuse Chiefs. And I was doing the games alone. So we got this audition tape in the off season. We popped it into a tape recorder, a set tape back then. And as you might expect for a screenwriter who wrote for MASH, Cheers, The Simpsons, Frasier, all of these great sitcoms. His tape was hysterically funny. So my boss said, I wonder what this guy would be willing to work for. So he called him up and the answer was nothing. I think he would have done it for free just because he had made quite a bit of money and he desperately wanted to be a baseball announcer. So they offered him $1,000 a month for the season only, so the, I think the grand total of $5,000 to move his wife and two kids to Syracuse, New York for the summer and do a season of minor league baseball with me, which he did. We had an incredibly fun time. And then at the end of that year, he wrote the Dance and Homer episode of The Simpsons and threw my name in there just to give me that, that thrill and that's been like 30 years yeah. and I'm still, I'm still getting mileage off it. Still riding it, baby. <laughs> Big time. Still riding that bad boy. Every time it comes up in syndication, I'll get a call or a text from somebody who says, Hey, you might not know this, but I think I just heard your name on the Simpsons. And I'll say, yes, as a matter of fact, I did know that. And I have for 30 some years, but it's the one thing that I've ever done i didn't really do anything but it's the one thing about me that my nieces and nephews are impressed by and my son to a lesser extent but uh, my nieces and nephews now for 30 plus years have loved telling their friends oh yeah my dad or my uncle was on the simpsons sort of well it's not only what you know but who you know ken levine uh, totally listen to his podcast uh what hollywood and levine uh yeah he's got a great jingle yeah i've been a uh aspiring writer for many years that I've never really put enough time into, but he, he write he, his podcast a lot about, uh, writing of course, and man, what a, a talented guy, uh, and a lover of baseball. So 
You have many famous friends, though. Dan Horde, being an alumnus of Syracuse. What, Mike Tirico, what was he, your intern? So when you go to Syracuse as a wannabe sports announcer, you have to go through a process to get on the air. There's so many kids that go there that want to become sports announcers because so many famous ones have gone there. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you, so when you get there and you sign up for student radio, you don't get on the air right away. The first thing that you have to do is write for another wannabe sports announcer. So Mike Tirico was my writer. I was a couple of, <laughs> I was a couple of years older than Mike. I still am. So he started his student radio career as my writer. You'd have to get up at like four in the morning, slept down to the student radio station for morning drive sportscasts. And yeah, Mike was my writer. So he's very gracious about it. He has often credited me publicly with being the guy who taught him the ropes and <laughs> you know taught him everything he needs to wow. know on the radio. When in truth, about two days into his college career, me and all of the other upperclassmen are saying, "Did you did you see this Tarico guy? He's unbelievable. We're all going to be working for him someday." So uh, it was neat, and that was really that was one of the great things about going to Syracuse when I did. So many of my classmates have gone on to be hugely successful in the business. It's just been awesome to be their friend for so many years. Sean McDonough. All right, go ahead, name drop. I was going to say, let's name drop here. Come on. Let's, Let's run through the who's who. So just in the years that I was there, Mike Tirico, Sean McDonough, Ian Eagle, I don't know if the Greg, if the name Greg Papa resonates with this audience and uh, largely in Cincinnati, but Greg Papa, if you are from San Francisco, Dan Hoard, this Papa podcast is. is worldwide. That's true. That's true. <laughs> there are Reds fans in the uh, in the Bay Area, but Greg Papa is the most well-known sportscaster in San Francisco. Yeah. He's the voice of the 49ers now. He used to do the Raiders. Right. You've heard his touchdown Raiders call a million times on <laughs> films. But beyond that, Tony Caridi, who's been the voice of West Virginia now for 30-plus years. Bill Roth, voice of Virginia Tech for 25 years. Now he's doing stuff on ESPN. One of my college roommates was Jim Jackson. He's been the TV voice of the Philadelphia Flyers for more than 20 years. And honestly, I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, I could name 10 other guys who were there at that time who have gone on to have hugely successful careers. So it it was really cool. No, that's terrific. Um, And you've gone on to do great things. Um, None greater than entertaining me on a daily basis. I mean, literally, (laughs) folks, if you could just sit in our... pre-production meetings it just it was like two high school kids that just didn't want to pay pay attention to the teacher and just were goofing the whole time. <laughs> very similar senses of humor we yeah. find the same things funny your imitations crack me up and and the great thing about your imitations is that unlike a famous uh person who makes their living doing impressions they are smart enough to impersonate well-known people, yeah. whereas you impersonate obscure people. I do. You're right. <laughs> so, you know, Rich Little back in the day was smart enough to do the president. Right, exactly. You, you do Jerry Naren. So, <laughs> so the audience 
is smaller, yeah. but those of us who get it right. love it. <laughs> well, thank you. We do have similar humors. I mean, I just I see you and I crack up. So it's just um, a lot of stories we can't tell. Some we can, but obviously, I love I love your work, Dan. You've always. Um, I wasn't lying when I said in that picture, I was just trying to keep up with you, especially at that point. Um, I think it was a good match, uh, you and I, uh, as co-hosts. Maybe someday we'll be hosting something again. That would be fun. I'm all in. Sign me up. Who knows? Maybe uh, we'll just have to do a podcast when we both get canned. <laughs> Hopefully that's not soon. Well, I've got a fourteen-year-old little... that's not that's not far from college age, so yeah. uh, I need some income to continue rolling in. This is true, uh, but you're probably a little more solidly entrenched than me. Who knows? I could be selling insurance next week. Not that that's bad, uh, but who knows? How old your son now? Fourteen. Oh my goodness. Fourteen. And it's like somebody flipped a switch a few years ago. And so he went from liking, first I think it was trucks, then dinosaurs, then Star Wars. And then somebody flipped a switch and he became us. So now he's like this little sports center with legs. And all of his buddies, if they need to know something for their fantasy league or whatever, he's the kid that they text or call. And he's a resource for me. I mean, when I get up in the morning, if I need to know something that happened in the last 24 hours in sports, I can just ask him. He's all over it. Nice. So he will follow right in our footsteps in that he will not be able to fix anything. The extent of his handyman skills will be screwing in a light bulb. Maybe (laughs) he might be able to pump his own gas someday. Maybe. But he will know the starting lineup of the 1982 Milwaukee Brewers. So he'll have that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a skill that's waning as we speak. I can see him going to Syracuse. I can see him trying to follow in the footsteps of dad. Heck, he might take my gig one day. It's possible. It's very possible. I love... Obviously, I love your when you host anything, and you still have even been dabbling with Fox Sports Ohio, um, filling in. Uh, love your play-by-play, and I love when you host on 700 WLW because we get story time with Dan, and we get 10 teammates in a hat, which are just brilliant segments. Um because the story time with Dan, I just love how you tell stories, and you've got stories to tell, but this 10 teammates in a hat, now, this was a great idea. I don't know if this was your idea. If it is, I commend you. But can you explain the concept and some of the people that you've had on? There are ones that might stand yeah. out. I can't take credit for the concept. The concept came from one of my favorite announcers, Jason Benetti, who is the TV voice of the Chicago White Sox, and he does a lot of college football and basketball on ESPN. Funny guy. When he was... A tremendously talented guy. He is going to be doing the World Series someday. I mean, he is so smart and talented and just a wonderful person. Uh, But when he was doing minor league baseball, when he was starting out, he came up with this notion of putting the name of a player's teammates in a hat. And I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think he used that as a way to do a 
different like radio pregame show when he was just tired of doing the same old tell me about that double last night type of interview right. that you do 162 times a year. So as I remember the story, a few times a year, he would just say, you know what, I'm going to do something different. I'll throw some names of teammates into a hat and my pregame guest will pull out a couple of names and whatever comes to mind will be my pregame show. Great idea. So from that idea, I came up with the idea of, of expanding this to go through a player's bio and write down the name of one teammate from every team that he ever played for, major league, minor league, whatever. So if you're talking about somebody like Pete Rose, that's a lot of names. That's a lot. You know, of that's like 30 plus names in the hat. Right. If it's a more recent player, it might be 15 names in a hat. And then after I write down the name of one teammate from every team they ever played for on a little scrap of paper, I fold those pieces of paper up and then I toss all of the pieces of paper into a hat and the player picks out 10, one at a time, unfolds the little scrap of paper, reads the name, reads the team, and then riffs. And I didn't know how well it was going to turn out, but the first person that I ever did it with was Bronson Arroyo. Oh, wow. He just started at the top of the mountain. (laughs) You know what? He was tremendous. And I knew right then I was on to something. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so I've probably done 25 of them so far. Unfortunately, the pace has slowed this year because we haven't had baseball yet. And um, I haven't had the opportunity to to see any players that I haven't done this with yet. Hopefully I'll have that opportunity sometime soon because I would like to get some new ones. But in any case, almost everyone has been a home run. The ones that haven't been home runs have still been fine. And you know this, Jim. Guys are interviewed so often now that they typically don't look forward to it anymore. There oh, was they love this time. Yeah. Well, there was probably a time back in the day where the relationship between the reporter and the player was very cordial and they didn't mind doing it because they only had to do it sporadically. Well, now these guys are bombarded and, you know, some are more pleasant about it than others, but some are really sick of having you walk up to them with a tape recorder in hand. Well, with only one exception, every person that has done this 10 teammates in a hat segment has loved it. And many afterward are like, well, let me see the other names of the hat. I want to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Let's do them all. Exactly. So, so it's, it's well, been it com- great. Yeah. It comes across that they like the interview. Uh, you can tell. Yes. And it's a very entertaining segment. In fact, I was, when I first heard, I'm like, you know how you get that broadcaster envy slash jealousy yes. like yes. oh why didn't i do this yes i've had that about <laughs> many if dan horde ever segments. leaves the market i am stealing this <laughs> well you know honestly i'm sure it's been stolen elsewhere i mean it's too good not to steal uh, but I, I feel the same way about segments that other people have done you know when you stumble into something that's yeah. good and it's been great so i i hope to do it for many years to come because like I said, maybe I've done 25 to 30, and I could do 100 of these, and I think I'll enjoy every one. Wow. Well, starting with Bronson, it's he's one of those guys that it's just like, all right, um, Bronson, talk. Just talk about yeah. anything, and I know it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing with him, too, is that he's not afraid 
to share oh, a little yeah. bit yeah. of uh, of stuff that other guys would never <laughs> share. So he would talk a little bit about uh, off the field activities and things like that. Oh, so yeah. starting with him was a stroke of genius or luck, whichever. It turned out to be great. And then it went from there. And the other good thing that happened is that Guys that did it liked it, and then they would communicate to other people, oh, yeah, that was fun to do, and so it was not difficult to get other people to do it. So guys that uh, Joey Votto, for example, who doesn't necessarily do a ton of interviews other than uh, talking after games or during spring training, or obviously you've done some great one-on-one stuff with him, but he was perfectly happy to do it. He was great, uh, maybe I'm down the road. We'll do a new list of 10 teammates with him. And, uh, and that's good. Yeah. And it's amazing. The, the teammates that they had at one point, you know, these other famous names that they brushed across because, uh, I mean, in, in baseball is the perfect sport to do it with because there's so many levels and different right. teams, uh, that you're playing on as opposed to maybe football where they have just one set of college teammates. Um, Correct. And in baseball, the ideal subject for 10 teammates in a hat is a veteran player or a player that's retired that bounced around a little bit. So if they played on multiple teams, then you've got all of these connections to famous players. And a lot of the guys that do this segment, when we begin, they'll say, well, geez, I I hope you don't pull out somebody that I don't remember. And I tell them, "You, you need to understand who these names are going to be. It doesn't do either of us any good if I wrote write down the name of your most obscure teammate from your second minor league season that the audience isn't going to recognize. Right. I'm looking either for well-known players, highly successful players, or guys who are kind of known as characters of the game, because those are the guys that will resonate with the people that are going to listen to this. Right. And then once they understand that those are the names that are going to be in the hat, then we're good to go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we ought to do it with you sometime. Ten producers in a hat. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't be for broadcast purposes because no one would know these producers. But it'd be funny for us. <laughs> yes, it would. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, folks, we used to do some silly stuff even on the air to amuse ourselves. Do you remember that we we'd go to break with the. Uh, just for men, the rejuvenator. The rejuvenator. <laughs> All right, so so folks, let's set the scene here. We <laughs> Just for Men was a sponsor. First of all, the commercial was great. No play for Mr. Gray. Here he comes approaching that, that, approaching the hottie. That was, Ooh. That was Clyde Frazier. Yeah, yeah. Famous famous Knicks guard, Clyde the Glide Frazier, who would say, No play for Mr. Gray. Yeah. Well, here he is approaching the hottie. Oh, <laughs> denied. <laughs> no play for Mr. Gray. <laughs> so, anyways, we're throwing to this commercial, basically, and we'd throw to break. So we'd read the spot, and at the end, it would say, it's not, I can't even remember it, but it would end with, it's the rejuvenator. It's not blah, blah, right. blah. It's the rejuvenator. So every day, we right. would plan to say it differently because we were children, <laughs> like 12 years old. And the audience probably thought we were idiots, but it made us laugh. So it would be. So much so. Yeah. So much so that we would often start laughing halfway through saying, <laughs> yes. however, we were going to say the rejuvenator. Yeah, I mean, one day we'd so be saying it. So it could be something it. like. Yeah. Next day it would be, <laughs> it's the rejuvenator. It's the rejuvenator. It's the rejuvenator. <laughs> <laughs> we'd start laughing. 
Good times. So, yeah. So I, I've had something similar filling in on Red's Live the last few years. Oh, yeah. What were and you that would be with? that would be singing the jingle for Menards. That's right. Okay. I was wondering which it was. <laughs> so going into the second segment in the Red's pregame show, there's always a sponsor read for Menards. <laughs> and you're just supposed to say save big money at Menards, oh, yeah, but, but I, can't, I can't help myself. <laughs> so it would always be, save big money at Menards, <laughs> with as much flair as I could give it. Sam LaCure found that to be hysterically funny. Uh, others, I don't know if they found it as funny, but I uh, Sam, Sam and I got a big kick out of it. Oh, I get a kick out of it right now. You know, I would be, I'd have my uh, earpiece in and I would just happen to be getting ready for, sometimes I do a hit in the pregame show or otherwise I'm doing something for the open. So one day I put my earpiece in and I hear Dan sing that and it brought back so many memories. I'm just like, oh, I wish I was on that set. Because he's up there singing like we used to, like acting a fool, which, you know, a pregame show should be fun anyway, so. And and back when we did it, we didn't have the big audience that you have now in the Fox Sports condominium down the third baseline at Great American Ballpark. So when those folks would see me sing, and again, with Robert Goulet-esque gusto, <laughs> they seemed to find it quite amusing. Oh, not quite Barry Gibb. <laughs> the Barry Gibb talk show, another of your best impressions. <laughs> Oh, man, goodness. Chest hair and medallions. <laughs> Talking about chest hair. <laughs> Talking about crazy cool medallions. <laughs> Talking about ashes. Uh, I will be the brother yeah. and just like say nod and say yeah. yes yes <laughs> yes <laughs> oh okay we gotta reel this back in people are like oh, listen yeah. to this podcast it was these two 12 year olds all they did was giggle i've got tears rolling down my face tired time uh. but folks that's uh that's our humor and this was a daily basis this was every day when we were together this was every day oh okay um Let's see here. Where are we going here? All right, story time with Dan. Um, yes. Because you, you always preface it by saying, story time with Dan, where we've gotten such gems as having <laughs> a character on The Simpsons or being at the same place with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Well, that's my best name-dropping story. I spent Christmas night one year with Ben and Matt at a bar in Boston. So anytime somebody, you know, tries to one up me with a name drop, I go right to Ben, Ben and Matt. Uh, I was flying to Boston. My wife, Peg, then girlfriend was living in Boston at the time. I was living in Cincinnati. So I'm flying on Christmas morning to see her and her family. And as I get to my plane at CBG, my friend, Sean McDonough, is flying back. He had taken a red eye from Las Vegas where he had done a college bowl game the night before. And now he's completing his flight back to his home in Boston. So we sit next to each other on the plane and he said, what are you doing tonight? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to be hanging out with my girlfriend's family Christmas night. 
And he said, well, do you want to go out drinking with Matt Damon and me? He didn't say Ben Affleck. He said, with Matt Damon and me? Like, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> sure. mean, I, I could I could hang out with my girlfriend's parents or I could go out drinking with you and Matt Damon. I'm in. <laughs> and Peg got to go as well. So I told her and we were all excited about it. So we, we did the Christmas Day thing with her family. And then we met Sean McDonough in Boston. And when we got there, the place was jam packed. And as we were walking in, Sean and Matt Damon were walking out because it was too crowded. So I see Sean walking toward us. I see Matt Damon walking toward us. And then I see Ben Affleck walking toward us. He had been overseas visiting with the troops and came back on Christmas Day and surprised his buddy, Matt Damon, by getting together with him on Christmas night. So we went to a different bar in Cambridge, the Boston suburb of Cambridge. It was a communist themed bar, oddly enough, that was open on Christmas night. Casey Affleck joined us. And so one Christmas night, I hung out drinking at a communist themed Boston bar with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, Sean McDonough, and my wife. Wow. Pretty good story. That's tremendous. Yes. I can only do Casey Affleck. It just spurred my memory there. I forgot I had interviewed Casey Affleck at the stadium. He was shooting a movie here in Cincinnati with Robert Redford. And I was, he didn't bring me up. He did not bring you <laughs> he up. He up. did not. But he was. <sighs> I was pestering him to get Robert Redford to the game. He's like, you, you realize you're asking me to get Roy Hobbs to come to a baseball game. <laughs> you know how hard that is? <laughs> didn't work yeah but you know you're in town shooting a flick so you know there's a game yeah. tomorrow night you gotta cast the line yeah you never know you know you reel them in <laughs> it's worth a try he was cool yeah, though so, casey affleck was cool yeah uh and that that night matt damon could not have been nicer i think ben was a little tired after flying back yeah. from overseas after visiting with the troop so he wasn't quite as friendly but you know hey what the heck it was still a great night. But when I do that story time with Dan segment, I will preface it by mentioning a couple of interesting things that have happened uh, either on or off the air in my broadcasting career. And then I usually try to tell a story that has something loosely to do with kind of what's going on in the world. So I'll be doing my radio show uh, this weekend. And I, I believe this podcast is going to drop after my next show. But we have this Ken Griffey Jr. special to look forward to on Major League Baseball Network. Right. This weekend, MLB presents a, a great, uh, I think it's going to be two hours or an hour and a half on Junior. Yeah. I'll be watching. It's going to be great. It'll be well done. But I am, I am tentatively planning to tell the story about how my wife, Peg, helped Junior have his best year in a red uniform by giving him a Pope T-shirt. Do you remember that? I think I vaguely remember, remember the Pope t-shirt. Yeah. So the year the junior was the national league comeback player of the year, 2005, maybe it was shortly before I left town to go to Pawtucket. I think right. it was 2005 junior, as you know, was a tremendous person to talk to as long as you didn't ask him about him. Right. So ask him about any other subject, his family, 
anything going on in the world, his teammates, nobody better. Ask him about himself, nobody worse. He just didn't like to talk about himself. But if the topic was anything else, he was great. So I would ask him about his family. He would ask me about my family. Uh, eventually, he, he knew that at that particular time, I was living in Cincinnati. And my I think by then, it was my wife was living in Boston. So one day early in the baseball season, he asked me how Peg was doing, what she was up to. And I said, well, strangely enough, she's in Rome right now uh, covering the funeral for Pope John Paul. And then she will stay there when they select the new Pope. She's going to be there when the smoke goes up from the Vatican. The white smoke. Yes. I mean, just an unbelievable thing to get to cover. But the uh, historically doesn't happen that very often. Yes, let's hope not. You don't (laughs) want that to be something that people are covering every few weeks. (laughs) So there's there's a huge Catholic population in Boston. So this was a big thing for the local news. So her TV station sent her. She was working as a TV news reporter. He sent her to Rome to cover the funeral of Pope John Paul and then the selection of the next pope. So I tell this to Junior. And he was off to a horrific start that year. At the end of April of 2005, he's probably hitting a buck 80 with no home runs. And he said, do you think she could bring me back a Pope t-shirt? Seriously? (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah. Authentic Pope t-shirt from the Vatican. Yeah, I imagine she could. So the next time I, I spoke to Peg, I told her that Ken Griffey Jr., future Hall of Famer, one of the greatest home run hitters in history wanted her to bring him an authentic Pope t-shirt from the Vatican. So she was amused. She said, absolutely, I'll do it. So I get this Pope t-shirt. She gets this Pope t-shirt. I give it to Junior. He would wear it under his uniform from time to time. And if you go back to that 2005 season, like from the day he got the Pope t-shirt, he completely turned his season around. On a tear. He had his best year in a Reds uniform. He was the National League Comeback Player of the Year. And that year in the clubhouse, the, the after home games, when he had had a big game, and I would see him, he would just like give me the look and go, Pope T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <Heck> yes. <laughs> so I, I, I have a great photograph of him posing with the Pope T-shirt. And I haven't been able to get it signed yet. I haven't had the opportunity. I've tried to uh, see if uh, our mutual friend. Uh, oh, I'm trying to drawing a blank on Brian's last name, his agent. Goldberg? Brian? Yes, Brian Goldberg. Sorry, Brian. Um, I've tried to see if Brian could help me get that signed. And I'm sure at some point it'll happen. But I've got a great picture of Junior posing with the Pope T-shirt. Well, he'll give you and, grief uh, for a half prize an hour. Possession. Yeah, prize, absolutely prize possession. He'll give you grief for a half an hour before he signs it. Just like he would give you grief before doing it. Rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, rightfully so. I mean, how many times you, know, you have to Another like, person begging for an yeah. autograph, yeah. He, he would, uh, well, that, or if we tried to do an interview, what, what do you want to talk about? Baseball. I want to <laughs> talk about baseball. You know, and it would take 20 minutes, and he's like, all right, let's do this. How many hours did we hold court... He had the locker at the end of the clubhouse, so he had two lockers, and he had this big black uh, chest, I guess, a trunk 
that he's trunk trunk that he used to put all his Nike stuff in that they would send him and all kinds of stuff in there. But he would sit on this trunk and just hold court, man. And it, there were no cameras rolling. This is just off the record conversations. And we spent hours just. Yeah. And he's a tremendous storyteller. Oh. I've often said that he should be to baseball what Charles Barkley is to basketball. Yeah. I think they're similar. I think Junior in that role would be hysterically funny. I mean, he wouldn't be as controversial. He wouldn't no. touch on politics and things like Charles Barkley has. But I think he could be the Charles Barkley of baseball broadcasting. I don't know if he would ever have interest in doing it that often. I think he likes the life that he has, uh, spending a ton, ton of time with his family and the interest that he's developed since baseball. But I really think that he could be a Charles Barkley-like broadcaster if he wanted wow. to be Well, we could break him in on Reds Live. <laughs> he, he would do a one. show. He would do one out of 162. <laughs> you think? I don't think That'd so. That'd be about it. That'd <laughs> be about think. it. He I was... think he dabbles a little bit with the Mariners yeah, on broadcasts occasionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has been, yeah. Uh, different way. He's a big photographer now. You see him down in Camerwell, sort of like the unit Randy Johnson. They're into photography big time, uh, following his kids through their athletics endeavors. So, uh, yeah, great stories. W- were you around when he, uh, who was it, Josh Fogg? He, or someone like that had a bet with him. Uh, with the pennies? The pennies. Yeah, with the pennies. <laughs> it was like $1,500. doesn't sound right to me, but yeah, but he owed somebody more than $1,000. I don't know why. And he be. paid it off in pennies. So this player's locker was filled with pennies because Junior owed him a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks, whatever it was. Tremendous. Uh, yeah. The, Who the, thinks of that? The picture is. <laughs> Fantastic! It was Josh Fogg, fifteen hundred dollars. And looking yeah. at the picture right Tremendous. now, it's hilarious. The, I mean, his locker is filled, bottom to top, with rolls yes. of pennies. Yes. <laughs> I mean, imagine contacting somebody at the bank and telling them, "This is what I want to do." Yeah. You know, we'll get a clubhouse kid with a wheelbarrow up to your bank yes. <laughs> and I mean, roll it down the street. Went into it. And he didn't yeah. like say, hey, Josh, sorry, I'll, I'll get him out. The joke's over. I'll get him out. He's like, oh, no, I repaid <laughs> my debt. You're on We're your good. own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. What do you got? You got some jerseys behind you. I do. What so do you we are doing this Casey as a Zoom jersey? call. Is that a Sean that Casey? That is an autographed Sean Casey Red Sox jersey. We've got a Kevin Euclid's oh, Red Uke. Sox jersey. UC's oh. finest. Kevin Oscar Robertson. Yeah. Uh, A rare Tony Pike Carolina Panthers jersey is on that wall behind me. Very uh, rare. That's that's one wall in my family room. That is is very nice. All right. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Dan Horde. And we'll get back to it here in a moment after these words from our friends from Kroger. At Kroger, we always do our very best to make sure we've got you covered. Restocking our shelves with help from one of the country's biggest supply chains. Which means every day we're busy getting everything you need, from a fresh batch of berries to basics for your bathroom. We've even got dinner ready if you need it. Mmm, that does look tasty. And we'll continue to bring our A-game to get you what you need when you need it most. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Hey, Reds fans, this episode of the Gym Day Podcast is brought to you by Goldfish Crackers, baked with goodness and always made with real cheese. Goldfish Crackers are the perfect addition to lunchtime, snack time, anytime. Goldfish have been making families smile for decades, and why not? They're fun and delicious. Be sure to try new veggie Goldfish Crackers, made with real veggies and, of course, lots of smiles. Get Goldfish Crackers at Kroger stores throughout Reds country. Goldfish Crackers, the snack that smiles better. Back. All right, back with Dan Horde, who famously interviewed so many different people. And this next person will go unnamed, but let's just say that it was an NFL player at the height of his popularity. You can't get much more popular than this guy. And Dan Horde, as a young pup reporter, scored a one-on-one interview that he thought was just amazing, and it turned out that, well, there was a reason why it was a one-on-one, was it not? This is an important lesson to learn as a TV reporter. It's one I'm sure that you've learned over the years. The hard way, the hard way, the exact hard way. Yeah. So I was a young TV news reporter, sports reporter, and I was covering an NFL game. And we went to the locker room after this NFL game. And your objective is to try to get as many interviews with the star players or significant players after a game as you can. So I'm looking around this locker room and this was a very good team that had a lot of great players at the time. And star player number one has a cluster of five TV cameras around him. Star player number two, same thing. Star player number three, same thing. And then I look over at star player number four and he's sitting in front of his locker all alone. And I'm thinking to myself, well, does this guy not do interviews? But then I seem to recall seeing him interviewed before. So I figured, you know, what the heck, I'm going to take a shot at getting a one-on-one interview with this guy before the rest of the media cluster shows up. So I asked the player if he's got time for an interview. He says, sure. I sit down next to him at his locker. My videographer kneels down so we can get that you know, nice, close and personal shot. I fire off my first question. He starts answering. The answer is great. And kind of like, peering over my shoulder to see when the rest of the media scrum is going to glom on and I will lose my one-on-one status. And that always happens. That always it happens. always happens. And I've often been the guy glomming. Absolutely. If that's a word. Yeah. So I ask my first question, nobody joins in. I ask my second question, nobody joins in. I ask my third question, nobody joins in. I do like a five to 10 minute interview with this future Hall of Fame player (laughs) after a big game. And I'm thinking this is the greatest moment of my career. We don't even need to interview anybody else. I've got an exclusive one-on-one with this superstar. So we hop in the car. I'm beaming from ear to ear that I've scored this exclusive. We hustle back to the TV station. We put together the highlights. I run out onto the set. Promote it, right? One-on-one. We've got an exclusive one-on-one. Exclusive one-on-one with Superstar X. So I do the highlights. Now we start playing the interview. And as I'm sitting in my chair on the set, I'm just thinking this is the greatest thing that has ever played on television. And I kind of look to my left where the female news anchor is sitting. And then to her left is the weathercaster, who is also a female. And they are not beaming from ear to ear. In fact, they look horrified. They look like they're like a dead animal has snuck into the set. 
And I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why they are not enjoying this interview as much as I am. So the newscast ends. We are, you know, taking off our microphones. And the, the news anchor says to me, uh, Dan, you might want to go back into your office and watch that interview again. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, fine, whatever. So I go back there. I pop in the interview. And now for the first time, I am not looking eye to eye at this player. I am noticing the background. And the background in his locker features the raunchiest pornography you have ever seen in your life. We are talking about stuff that would have made Jimmy Flint blush. We are talking about stuff that medical journals do not publish. <laughs> we, we are talking about positions that are not in the Kama Sutra. It was the most offensive material you could possibly imagine. And I ran a five-minute interview where eagle-eyed viewers could easily detect it. So needless to say, I have never done an interview since, and that was probably 30 years ago, where I have not been acutely aware of everything that could possibly be seen behind the subject. In fact, people that I'm interview, interviewing probably wonder, why isn't he looking at my face? He seems to be looking at everything behind me instead of making eye-to-eye -eye contact, and I learned that lesson the hard way. We've all learned it the hard way, but there's obviously a reason why no one was interviewing him, because they knew that his locker... They knew. You do not interview this person in front of his locker. Which you get him very... on the field, you get yeah. him in an interview room, you turn him away from his locker, you ask him to step one locker over, but you do not do an interview with his locker in the background. Lesson learned. We have all learned that the hard way. Or how about that you do a an interview in a clubhouse or locker room, and it's the you know it's when they're showering and getting out of the shower. So if there's a scrum around the locker, some angles are going to be like down the locker. So inevitably you're going to get naked man in the background sometimes. Yes. Uh, yes, that's why you always want to make sure that they are in front of a locker, a, a locker. locker. Yes. yes, hopefully with nothing offensive in the locker. Well, I've learned that lesson too. <laughs> you have to avoid like the wide locker shot yes. where somebody could be walking through in the background on his way to his locker or to the shower. Right. As many screenshots of people like, hey, did you see such and such naked tush last night on... <laughs> Right. The broadcast. Not a good thing. <laughs> or the Reds used to have this thing that they would pass around. Uh, it was a plastic hanging thing that, let's just say, it was a part of a male anatomy that they would pass around, and this person would get this award. <laughs> and anytime that thing was hanging in a locker, a few times you had to stop the interview. Like, I can you? I'm sorry. Can you take that down? <laughs> <laughs> and that thing ended up on, and I can't believe it, it wasn't a big deal, but that thing ended up on a few interviews and no one really noticed, which is amazing. But sophomoric locker, locker room humor yeah. will never go away. Yeah. That is a given. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so how's life for you now, man? You got to be, uh, 
I'm sure it's not the uh, exact path that you thought you were going to go on because you had <clears throat> gone to, as you mentioned earlier, Pawtucket, aspiring to be a uh, big league broadcaster, which is so very hard to do. I find that out the uh, the hard way as well. Um, but to be the voice of an NFL team and uh, the UC Bearcats, which you've done for many, many years, um, you got to be living the, the dream, man. No question about it. My childhood dream was to be a major league baseball announcer. And I did minor league baseball for many years in three different places. And I loved it. And I still miss doing baseball, but I am doing the major leagues. It's just a different major league. Well, it's the majorest Um, of major leagues. Let's face it. Well, according to some it is, and I know how lucky I am. There are only 32 of these jobs Mm -hmm. doing NFL games on the radio for one of the teams. So I consider myself to be incredibly blessed to do it. I love it. Um, And, you know, because I I said publicly for so many years that being a baseball announcer was my dream, I think a lot of people think that for me, baseball is like way up here and then football's down here and basketball's down there, which really isn't the case. They're all separated by an eyelash. Absolutely. I love doing them all. I, I just love doing live sporting events. And you know this. It's the closest thing as a broadcaster that we get to do to playing. You do your homework and then they toss the ball in the air or they kick it off or they throw the first pitch. And then you never know what's going to happen in that given game or on that given night. And that's the challenge trying to describe it as in, in as much detail as you possibly can and tell stories and provide statistics and then put the captions on the big moments um, that's that's why most of us got into this in the first place, and I love it, and I hope to do it for a long, long time. Gets in your blood, even if uh, even when we were hosting pre and post game shows. I mean, I I will fill in play by play on television, baseball, done some radio, but just covering the live event, whether it's you're doing pre or post game, or you're actually calling the game. And you and I both have the background of working in local news, which is a terrific job covering sports. Anytime you're covering sports, you're blessed. But it gets in your blood, those live events, the games. Uh, People say, well, what do you miss? I'm like, well, obviously the first I miss my colleagues. Um, But I miss the games, you know? Just miss the games. Absolutely. And it does get in your blood. And doing baseball is such a great challenge. People ask me, what is the most difficult to do? And it seems to me that most people are surprised when I say baseball until I explain why. In a a basketball game, you've got 10 guys. The geography of the court is very easy to describe. Everybody knows where center court is, the corner, the lane, the paint, the wing. It's pretty easy to follow 10 players from spot to spot in a basketball game. And then in a baseball game, there's a ground out to shortstop that takes two seconds And then several minutes go by before there's that next significant action other than pitches. And obviously those are significant, but I mean, until a play that you write down in your scorebook. So how do you fill that time? You tell stories, you provide information, you interact with your partner or partners. It's a tremendous challenge. And, you know, that's why somebody like Marty Brenneman or Vin Scully stand out for being the hall of famers that they are they manage to entertain and inform during those gaps better than everybody else and in my minor league baseball broadcasting career 
my first year, I had a 21 inning game and a 27 inning game, nine days apart. Oh, doing doing the games alone. So you want to talk about training? Oh, the 27 inning game was seven hours and seven minutes. Oh. It was spread out over three days because there was a minor league curfew at the time. And then on day two, there was a rain delay. Uh, but uh, something like that will prepare you for anything else you oh. ever do in this business. Yeah, no doubt. How about Scully all those years with no color commentator, just on his own? And on radio, you're doing baseball. A lot of the time fills itself because you're describing, you know, pitcher to the belt, kicks, fires, you know, a lot of that fills the time and TV that you can see it. So you're not necessarily describing all that. So you're really having to come up with stuff to fill in the blanks. Um, yeah. And Vince Gully described that process better than anybody how about that in, ra- in radio. Yeah. You paint pictures in TV, you write captions. That's how he described it. And uh, my best Vince Scully story actually involves Chris Welsh. So one year when I was working on the Reds pregame show, George Brand had to miss some games on the West Coast because a family member passed away. Mm-hmm. So I was sent out there to fill in for George for a few games at Dodger Stadium, followed by a series in San Diego. So the final game of the series at Dodger Stadium was a day game. And back then, Fox Sports Ohio did not televise many of the weekday day games, including this one at Dodger Stadium. So Chris suggested, why don't we rent a car, drive to San Diego, listen to the Reds-Dodgers game on the radio. We'll listen to Scully for a few innings. Then we'll play golf in San Diego. And then we'll do game one of the Reds-Padres series in San Diego the next day. Fantastic. I'm in. So we are driving from Los Angeles to San Diego, listening to Scully do the Reds and Dodgers. And in the first inning, Adam Dunn comes to the plate. And Vin Scully tells this incredible Adam Dunn, Adam Dunn story that I had never heard before. And at this point, I had uh, been with the Reds pregame show for every year of Adam Dunn's career. Chris Welsh had done every Reds game that Adam Dunn had ever played and obviously has been around the franchise for more than a decade. So Scully tells this incredible Adam Dunn story on the radio, on the Dodgers broadcast. And when he's finished, I turned to Chris and I said, have you ever heard that story before? And he said, no clue. So we're around Adam Dunn every day during the season. And Vin Scully has a better Adam Dunn story than either of us who have been around the guy for like four years. That's how good Vince Scully was. Yeah. I have no idea how he got the story, but he had it. I talked to Adam Dunn about it after the fact. It was true. Unbelievable. Vince Scully. He had to have some people that doing some research for him because some of the stuff he came up with were just tremendous. And if he did, that's great. That's part of the process, man. If you got someone that um but well, yeah, he would he would come up with these nuggets about yeah. the other team. Um, you know, a lot of so announcers much. have stat guys, certainly in the booth, in TV, you generally have a stat guy. You would probably be better off to have a story guy. No doubt. As many. Somebody that, lot, you know, I mean, yeah. we, we spend time researching and finding this stuff and interacting with guys in the clubhouse or around the batting yeah. cage 
trying to get nuggets of material like that that we can use, but to have another set of eyes or ears or, you know, time spent researching, that's probably even more beneficial. No doubt about it. Although if you get a good stat guy, yeah, they're they're worth their weight. Trust me, money. I do. I I, I do not uh, intend to downplay the significant of a significance of a great stat guy because they are definitely worth their weight in gold. Oh, and there's differences between uh, stat. Well, let's just say stat people because I've had some. Uh, I we've had a couple of females uh, recently that have been really, really good, really, really talented. Uh, the best though is when you go to Wrigley Field in the visiting booth. Most of the time, you're going to get Jim Nance's stat guy on the TV side. Hello, friends. No, it. Hello, friends. It is. I've opened the broadcast doing that, by the way, because it it cracks Tom Brenneman up. Which another inside joke there when I say that. But he will. This stat guy, Jim Nance's guy, will. He sees things before they happen. Like he has something ready. He thinks it it, it quite possibly could happen. And if it happens, boom. I mean, literally, I'm I'm getting so many cards from this guy that I'm like. I can't even keep up with the stats he's given me. And this is yeah. a slow baseball game. So I work with a guy like that during the football season a few times a year. He's known as the stat doctor. His name is Dr. Richard Weiner. And he is a psychologist or psychiatrist. I've not, I can't recall uh, which specialty he is as a doctor, but that's his real job. But he loves doing stats for football games. So depending on where the Bengals or Bearcats are playing – I'll hook up with him a few times a year on the road as my stat guy. And it's the same thing. He has written down in advance the stat for pretty much anything that could happen. Yeah. So when it happens, boom, right. he slaps it down in front of yeah. you and you're, and you, you know, you say it instantaneously. Oh, and yeah. the person at home is going like, my God, Horde's ge- uh, genius. Yeah. No, he's not, but he has the good fortune of working with the stat doctor. Yeah. So if I happen to call a game at Wrigley and I sound smart, now you know. It's Nance's guy. <laughs> it's Jim Nance's guy. <laughs> this this nugget brought to you by Nance's guy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have it in common to uh, fill in uh, for George at Dodger Stadium. And this was back, you know, I really wasn't. I didn't go to the minor leagues. I was just a broadcast dork and what really wasn't aspiring to call games. But George couldn't make it. And all of a sudden, I'm calling a game at Dodger Stadium. Having done no minor league games, I've done, you know, baseball before way back when. But um, all of a sudden, I'm sitting at Dodger Stadium like, oh, man. (laughs) How did this happen? And then Derek Lowe one hit the Reds. It was they got one hit. I called one. How, hit. how was your call of the hit? Did you nail it? I can't even remember. I think I was so surprised that it happened. It was like, I mean, a hit. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but no, it's, uh, it's crazy. I had a few moments like that. Another moment when I was doing radio and you know, I grew up a Reds fan. So I grew up idolizing Marty Brenneman. We were getting ready to do our first spring training game together. And I'm usually cool. I don't get nervous anymore until I looked over and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm getting ready to do a, g- <clears throat> excuse me. I'm getting ready to do a game with Marty. 
<laughs> no big deal at yeah. all. <laughs> no, I, I had the exact same experience the first time that I had that opportunity and with Joe. I had the chance to do games with yeah, Joe. Yeah, oh, that's great. I filled in for Marty when he went to the Hall of Fame. That was right. the first time that I ever did a Reds game on the radio working with Joe. What a thrill that was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just hearing those grandfatherly pipes. Oh, yeah. Next to me. Oh, yeah. You know? He joined the list of my mom and my sisters as as people that call me Danny. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> Danny, he dannied me. Yep. Gave you a Danny. Uh, wow. Ma- that's Marty Danny's me as well. Yep. Yep. Who else uh, Danny's so you? That, that was a thrill. Marty Danny's me. Does he Danny you? Yeah. Yep. I think Tom. I think Tom Danny's me as well. So wow. um, there's a, there's a, there are a handful of people in addition to my older sisters and my mom. I never get Jimmy from Marty. It's usually something very derogatory. <laughs> Well deserved. You get JD'd by George, though. Oh, <laughs> people thought you my name JD'd. was JD. You get JD'd by George. You get J Day from me. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I and get something derogatory from Marty. Exactly. I get Jimbo from Tom Brennan. Jimbo. Jimbo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It what does Chris call you? He also calls me derogatory things. What does he call me? James Day. He calls me James Day. James Day! (laughs) (laughs) Anybody middle name you? No. We'll leave my middle name. Is it Allen? James Allen Day? Is that correct? We're going to leave the middle name a mystery. Why did I think it was Allen? You remember the uh, Sanford and Son? We're dating ourselves here. He'd be Fred G. Sanford, and the G stands for whatever at the time. It does start with a G, so I'm Jim G. Day, and the G stands for. <laughs> well, I see. I, I'm I'm willing to share. I'm a Lawrence. Lawrence. Daniel Lawrence. Daniel yeah, very Lawrence. Dignified sounding. Yeah. Wow. I'm gonna leave mine Come a mystery. Clean. That's gonna be a tease for another podcast. I'm clean. <laughs> See, I want people to think, what, what G? There's really, there's not that. What G could be so embarrassing yeah. that he wouldn't want to say it. No, it's not really embarrassing, but we'll just leave it. I love leaving mysteries out there. Okay. Yeah. So, so we'll do it that way. By the way, I had a similar experience, not 29 innings. Or how many innings do you say you had where you did it by yourself? 21 and 27, nine days uh, apart. Okay. So we're, I'm doing radio, which I filled in for a year. Um, we're in Cleveland. I'm doing it with Marty. And it's the seventh inning. He walks out of the booth because he has some friends there. The Indians proceed to put, I think, 13 runs on the Reds. And the half inning was like 40 to 45 minutes. And he left me all alone. And I, when he comes back in, I've got like baseball reference up. And they're they're substituting guys. I mean, if they had a forty man roster, the fortieth guy would have played that day. The Indians. So I'm looking up. I'm like, such and such went to high school at you know blah blah blah. And I'm like, try anything I can do because the Reds are getting killed. Yeah. And classic Marty after forty five minutes on my own, a half inning where I'm dying. You know, I'm dying a slow death. He goes, let me ask you something. <laughs> What the hell are you talking about the guys of high school? No one cares about that player. No one cares about his background information. 
I'm like, you left me all alone. What are you talking about? I could have used my partner to banter right there. You left. Oh, he didn't get it. He just, after I died a slow death, he put the stiletto in me afterwards. What the hell are you talking about? <sighs> yeah. If you were dropping high schools, you were, he was probably right in doing so. <laughs> even after the, even after a 45 minute soliloquy. The thing is, this was an obscure player too. It wasn't like I was dropping the yeah. high school of, you know, a, a famous Indians player, uh, you know. Well, that's what we call emptying the briefcase. Yeah, and trust me, in the, in the 21 and the 27 inning games that I did, every possible obscure nugget that existed about the guys on those two teams, I mean, when they're up for the ninth time in the 20th inning, you can only recap, so far, he has grounded a second, struck out, fly to center, grounded to first, struck out again, that time swinging. I mean, you can only run through that so many times. Uh, it, it is a great test to be able to fill an inning like that, though. Yeah, no. I, I, I think I failed miserably. It was terrible. And, and when you have an inning like that, what kills you are like, the pitching changes, oh. the foul balls, yes. you know, a guy fouls one off his foot. It's three minutes before he's back in the box. And you're like, come on. Oh, now. Yeah. This inning is 34 minutes long. There's still only one out. Yeah. The opposing team has scored 11 runs. The long relief Can man can't just... get the signals down with the catcher. So, you know, trip to the mound. Oh, that was before trip to the, the mound after you've given up 11. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and that guy, the 25th man on the roster, is pitching for his major league life. You know, it's the most yeah. meaningful moment to him. And we're like, all right, can you just, yeah, I don't care if you serve a potato. Can you just throw the ball, please? <laughs> and that's the moment when something significant happens. When something what? Guard will be down. Something really significant will happen. So your guard is down. Oh, yeah. You've, you yeah. know, you've, you've, your concentration has lapsed just a little bit. And a guy will hit an inside the park home run. Right. And your call will stink <laughs> because, because you had lost that edge. It's really you need to have on every pitch. Every pitch. Just in case. You got to be locked in. Kev the great Kevin Harlan, who might be the best radio play-by-play -play announcer of all time, next to Scully. But in football, Kevin Harlan is the best. He writes down on his spotting board before he does a game, any play, every play, to remind himself that you never know when that second down and six from your own 18-yard line is going to be the 82-yard break nine tackles touchdown right. that people will talk about forever. So it can be hard at times, but you have to remember in whatever sport that you are doing, any play, every play, because you never know. Kevin Harlan is one of those guys I will go out of my way to listen to a game that he's doing, or if he's on radio, I will listen to the call. Well, what a yeah. distinct voice, too. It's like unbelievably great with, voice yeah, yeah. and knows how to use it. I mean, there are people that have great voices that don't know how to use it like the instrument that it is. Yeah. 
And he plays that bad boy like a Stradivarius. He does. It's tremendous. In baseball, you know, in baseball, John Miller is the same way. Yeah. Because when I was, the most recent time that I was doing minor league baseball in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, I had about a 50-minute commute to and from the ballpark, 5-0, not 15 minutes, but 50 minutes driving from Boston to Pawtucket. And I had the Major League Baseball package on XM Radio. So driving home at night, I would listen to all of the different major league announcers trying to pick up little things. What, how can I be better by listening to some of these guys? And when I would listen to John Miller do a San Francisco Giants game, if you wrote down what he was saying, it wasn't necessarily all that interesting. It was very basic. Balls and strikes, out-of-town scores, description of what the pitcher was doing and what the hitter was doing. He wasn't telling a lot of stories. He wasn't uh, engaging with his color commentator, all of that much. It was really very basic, but he uses his voice so well and he takes advantage of the sounds of the park and he knows when to shut up better than anybody that he's one of the all time best baseball broadcasters on TV or radio simply because of how well he uses his voice and how well he uses the sound of the ballpark. It's unbelievable. And then you have somebody like Kevin Harlan who has that great voice, but the thing that separates him from everybody else is just how freaking descriptive he is. There's never a pass. It's a line drive pass. It's a rainbow. I mean, right. the laces the laces are spinning. He just adds that added level of detail that separates him from everybody else trying to do it. I can't notice the things that he described. I try. I try to be as descriptive as I can be, but he takes it to a level that the rest of us haven't been able to achieve. Well, even though you're describing him on radio, and he's fantastic on radio, they keep looking for this Monday night football team. And I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, Kevin Harlan. I mean, how is he not one of the lead announcers for one of these major sports? Baffles my mind. Even though he does the the lead calls on radio for Monday night football or Sunday night football, um, I'm like, it's like, hey, I don't know. This is pretty easy. Kevin Arlen, looking all around to have a Monday night team. But anyway, hey, John Miller, first time I uh, went and covered a Reds-Giants game, go up into the press box, and I'm like, look down the hallway, and I'm like, who is the dude? <laughs> and then the really bad shorts, the flip-flops, the Hawaiian shirt, and his hair looks like Ben Franklin. <laughs> yes who is this Home guy road. there's there's a bit of a dress code in the press box like who is this dude that they let in it got to be a sponsor or something he turns around it's john miller <laughs> yeah he shows yeah. up to work in flip-flop shorts hawaiian shirt he just doesn't care yes and his feet are the feet that you dread being next to you on a plane <laughs> exactly like Toes are crisscrossed. <laughs> you know, it looks more like a fist than yes. a foot. Oh, he's got the skullet going yeah. on. It's long, you know, his hair's long. In the back. I'm seriously, I thought it was Ben Franklin in a Hawaiian shirt reincarnated. 
contact. Are you, are you going to fly a kite with a key attached at some point during this ball game? I mean, yeah, he looks like he just drifted in off the beach and sits down. Best best guy on the radio. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's amazing. Uh, yeah, when he used to do Sunday night baseball on ESPN, that would be the one game that he would dress up for. Yeah. But the rest of the week, Hawaiian shorts. Or I mean, a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Short shorts. Short shorts. John Stockton. John Stockton era shorts. <laughs> yes. Flip flops. Bare feet. Yes. It's a great look. It is. And if if you you know, it's a great gig if you can get it and you can pull it off. I don't wear that look on my back deck <laughs> in fear that a neighbor will walk by and be offended. <laughs> oh, so envious. So envious. Well, this has been a very enjoyable conversation, Dan. Or we are absolutely going to have to do this again if you're game, because we barely scratched the surface. Because you, we sit here and talk, and it's just one of those things where you have certain people or friends in your life or colleagues, whatever. You can just pick up right where you left off. I mean, you and I could sit and not talk for months or years, and then just pick right up. And you, we spur each other's memory. You'll bring up something that reminds me of something, or vice versa. So we've barely touched the surface. If you're willing to do this again sometime. I am back for episode two. And uh, the small fee that I demanded for doing this can be paid in pennies. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to just stuff my mailbox with pennies, we're good. Well, we have a very small budget on this show. It'll, it might only be a few rolls of pennies. One roll. A roll of 50 pennies. You know we're what? Good. You're going to get good. in the mail one roll of 50 pennies. <laughs> This is this. In fact, I have to write this down. This and it's going to have to come out of the blue. It's going to be in the future. It won't be right away. Uh, you will receive fifty pennies for the payment for this. Sounds good. And I hope it makes you laugh. It will make me chuckle, no question. <laughs> All right, we got to plug some things. Where can they find you on social media? Uh, Twitter is the social media location that I uh, use most frequently. So that is Dan underscore Horde. Underscore. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well, but Twitter is best. That's the one that I check most often. So Dan underscore Horde. And can I can I make a plug? Absolutely. The can podcast. I plug something? Oh, yeah. I don't even want to plug the podcast, although thank you for mentioning that. But I do want to plug Horde Makes the Call. Oh yeah. The thing that I, have, I didn't even yeah, get into the thing, that. That's all right. Next time we can talk about it in more detail. Yeah. But during the coronavirus, I have started doing something called Horde Makes the Call, which, which are is terrific. Where I will do I will do custom made play by play for you. So if you have a video of your child's big moment in youth sports or something amusing that uh, you or your family did in the backyard or something funny that your pet did. If you want a professional play-by-play person to provide the commentary for, just post the video on Twitter or Facebook and include the hashtag Horde, H-O-A-R-D. Horde makes the call. Jam those four words together uh, after the hashtag symbol. I, I search for that every few days. I pick them out. I get in touch with the person to get more details, and I try to provide a detailed, filled, custom-made play-by-play call for you. So uh, it's called Horde Makes the Call. You can find them all on YouTube, and it's been a lot of fun. I have loved those as well, and it's another terrific idea that I know you and some of your Syracuse colleagues have done as well, which is uh, just tremendous, and that'll enrich someone's lives. You talk about a lifetime memory, having uh, someone that loves the Bengals or Bearcats or loves Dan Horde to have you 
call one of their minor league games, or even if it's just an obscure pet video. Uh, very I did the play-by-play of a young man tying his shoes for the first time. That's great. As he watched a how-to Sesame Street video, and it was great. <laughs> it was great. The, the difficult looping with the left-hand maneuver while pinching the bow with the right. <laughs> And when he was done, he had perfectly even loops. I mean, this kid did a great job. So that's one example of uh, Horde makes the call play by play. And it was a lot of fun. So send those videos in on Twitter or Facebook. My wife has some obscure videos of me I should send you. <laughs> not what you think. Oh, come on, don't raise those eyebrows. It's not that type of video. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have set it up that way. Well, really obscure videos my wife has of me that I'd like you to do. <laughs> Horde makes the call is strictly G-rated. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, if there's a if there's a good G-rated Jim Day video, I would love to see. Them. There are. So who knows? You might get a hashtag video from me. Excellent. And a roll of fifty pennies on the way in your future. <laughs> Thank you so looking. much. I enjoyed this. I need My this. My pleasure, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I need these laughs. And you and I, you know how friends always say, we need to stay in touch more. Well, I, doggone it, we need to stay in touch more. But just frankly, I need the entertainment. I need the Dan Horde entertainment. I need laughs, especially in today's day and age and 2020 and everything going on. I We all need some laughter. So thank you, my friend. Pleasure was all mine. Thanks again for uh, asking me to be a guest. Oh, Honored to join the illustrious Who's Who yes. on the Jim Day podcast. Yes! That'll be a drop. We'll drop that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You can check me out on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well, at Jim Day TV. Hope you rate and review this podcast. And who knows who is on down the line on the, what'd you call it? The, the illustrious guest list? The illustrious Jim Day. Oh, I think I said the illustrious list of guests on the Jim yeah. Day podcast, but, but either phrase applies. Who knows what illustrious guests will be on down the road. And thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time here on the Jim Day podcast. Podcast presented by Kroger.